Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. The grace and peace of our Lord be with you today. Before we move into our sermon and our time of study, let me bring you up to speed on one more important thing to know about what's happening in the life of our church. Next weekend's a big weekend for a number of reasons. We begin Advent, the season of Advent, the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And boy, do we need Christmas right about now, right? And so next week, we're doing a couple of unique things. During the season of Advent, if you are uh, a worshiper in the contemporary worship service, so I'm talking right to some of you watching right now from the Family Life Center or maybe from home, The contemporary worship service beginning next week for four weeks straight will happen at 4 o'clock p.m. Now, you may have already heard me talking about that, about some experiments that we're trying in the life of our church. This is a time to be bold with some experiments, and Advent gives us a spectacular opportunity. And we're moving the contemporary service off of 11 o'clock to 4 o'clock p.m. with this hope that you'll be able to come and worship fully. We'll lift our hearts and our minds to Christ. And then afterwards, our hope is that some of you will gather together, maybe parts of your Sunday school communities or small groups of friends, people with whom you're already doing life, right? And go somewhere and, and eat dinner together or go to your homes and on your way out of worship, I'm gonna give you uh, two or three fun kind of conversation prompts That may help you get some conversation going based on the sermon that you just heard in that four o'clock service. Now, spoiler alert, it'll be the same sermon that I preach at 11 o'clock. So don't come asking, you know, for a different sermon, okay? I don't want to spoil you, right? But we want you to come to one of these services. And as you do, we hope that you'll use that opportunity at four o'clock to move into an evening of fellowship and connection and growth with those who are close to you and those in your community. Also, that allows us on Sunday morning to create some space in the Family Life Center uh, at 9.30 and 1.30. 9.30 a.m. and 1.30 p.m., we're going to open up the Family Life Center to any and all of our Sunday school communities who wish to come and be a part of a special live Bible study during the season of Advent, four weeks, and Michael McCuller will be leading that study. The same study will happen at 9.30 as it happens at 1.30. So he, he, he'll be recooking his, me, his message, I'll be recooking my message, but it'll be in completely different scenarios, right, depending on who is there with us and with the Spirit. So we encourage you to do that, but that same Bible study is also uh, going to be offered on Wednesday at 10 o'clock a.m. So as we're moving into Advent, we're attempting to take a baby step toward what we hope will be a new year of normalcy, Right? And as we do, large groups at 9.30, 1.30, Wednesday at 10 o'clock, or if you worship at 4 o'clock with the contemporary worship service, we encourage you to gather in smaller groups uh, at places that make sense to you 
uh, and, and continue your growth and community building. And next week, we start a new sermon series. The best part of what just happened a moment ago, Glenn, when you read the scripture for us was this. You opened up and see, when you can't hide a musician's heart. You know what I'm talking about. Don't you? He opens up the scripture and he says, we're going to pick up, you know, at verse number 20. But he, you began to say, we're going to pick up at measure 20, right? <laughs> yeah, because there is, there is in a musician's heart song all the time. But next week we do begin a, a new sermon series and it has something to do with song because it's been said when you sing you pray twice and if there's ever been a year when we need to double down our prayers it has been this year and I got to tell you back in the summertime when we were in the thick of the lockdown and my son Jackson was we were all going a little bit stir crazy right I know none of you were but we were about to go a little little mad and one day he said you know what I need I said you look a little stressed out what do you need you know what I need I said, yeah, you need a break, you need to take a walk around the neighborhood, what do you need? He goes, no, I need, I need to turn up the speaker and hear chestnuts roasting on and on. He said, I need Christmas to get here. And I couldn't get that, that comment out of my mind or out of my spirit. You know what we need? We need, we need somebody to sing us to Christmas. So that's the series for Advent. It's called Sing Me to Christmas because in sacred scripture, there is no less than five songs that are used to describe the coming of the birth of Christ. And the coming of the birth of Christ means renewal for all of humankind and the renewal of creation itself. And the, the scriptures sing it to us. And so next Sunday, we're gonna begin by considering not only what are our fun songs that we need to hear that remind us of some kind of normalcy, but we're going to let sacred scripture call us by singing us toward the birth. And that begins next Sunday, 11 o'clock and 4 o'clock. Now, if you'll take a moment, let's, let's pause in a word of prayer. And in our prayer, let's open our minds and our hearts before the one who wants to do something in both. Let's pray together. God, we stop for just a moment to acknowledge that in this hour of worship, all kinds of things are possible, and yet at the same time, it's possible that nothing at all happens. You can transform the entire created order by changing our minds and hearts in this very hour, or we can be so blind to what your spirit is attempting to do that we miss all of it, and we walk out the very same way we came in. So for the next little while, we simply pray this, that your Holy Spirit, which is present and it's in and around us, we, we pray that your Spirit would open our minds and hearts to receive some word that will transform us so that when we leave this place, we partner with you in the ongoing transformation of the world. That's our prayer now, and we pray it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So it was a long time ago, and Laura and I were, uh, oh gosh, I guess as Fitzgerald might say, in our younger and more vulnerable years. <laughs> we went out to eat one night. We said, let's go out someplace nice. We didn't have any money, but we could go out and have a dinner together. And we had a friend who recommended this place, and it was really a nice place. We trusted their judgment, so we went to it. It's an Italian place, and we were really looking forward to chowing down on some biscotti, you know, and we get dressed, and we go, but we're not dressed up. We're just kind of cash, 
We should have known that something went wrong when we walked in the door and we realized everybody else was like three notches better dressed than we were. And if that didn't tell it, uh, didn't, didn't say anything to us, we, walking in, we could see that the, the linen tablecloths, the real silver, the china set on the table said uh, what kind of restaurant we were in. As we walked to our table, the maitre d', no kidding, as walking us to our table, the nature of kind of gave me uh, kind of one of these once-overs, like, uh, are you sure you really want to be here? <laughs> we sat down, we were handed the menus, but the problem was, it's one of those menus that doesn't have any numbers on it. You know, then he hands me a different menu with the numbers on it, the prices on it, and, and Laura leans over to me and says, it kind of in a whisper, we can't afford this. And so I leaned back to my beloved and I said, I know. She said, what are we going to do? I said, follow my lead. I said, call my phone. And she reached down and called my phone. I set my phone ringer on loud. And when it rang, I let it ring a couple of times to make sure everybody in the restaurant could hear it ring. And then I answered it with almost kind of an Academy Award winning performance. Hello? What? No. Excuse me, just a minute. I walked outside, and on the other side of the window where you could still see me, and our server could still see me, I'm gesturing, you know, robustly, you know. Okay. I come back in, hang up the phone, and I say to my wife at the table, we're going to have to go. The server comes over and asks if there is a problem. I said, yes, we have an emergency, which was not a lie. We did have an emergency. The emergency is, uh, we're broke, <laughs> we can't do this. And I said, we're, we're going to have to leave. So, you know, I can't believe I, I did this to this day, but I, I reached in, pulled out like two or three bucks, <laughs> slipped it in his hand and said, here, for your troubles. <laughs> and we were out of Dodge, man. We were gone. And we knew the moment we walked in the place, and we just had to get out the back, Jack, right? Uh, we knew that we did not belong in that place. I mean, there's nothing right about us that day. We weren't dressed right, didn't have the right cash for it. We, we did not belong. And since that happened to us, I've, I've often wondered, do we do that in churches? I mean, do, do we set up the situation in our, in our coming and going and experiencing church? Do we set it up in, in such a way that sometimes people can walk in, look around and say, you know, I just, I really, I don't belong here. I mean, maybe for some super, superficial reasons. Sometimes it's superficial. It's like maybe somebody comes forward and tries to, to sit in your seat and, and, and maybe they feel unwelcome because they're in your seat, you know. Or maybe for some deeper reasons, though. Are there things that we do or don't do and we're not even aware of it and it creates a sense of discomfort where people who actually long to belong just can't find themselves staying long enough? See, we live in a, a weary world right now that is longing to belong to something, something that matters, something where if you're a part of it, you recognize you're a part of something bigger than yourself. You're a part of something that actually makes some difference not only in yourself, but in your neighbors and in the world that is fractured and is fracturing even as we speak. You want to belong to something. But what I've been trying to say over the last two weeks in this series called The Great Reversal is that we, in the, at least in the last 400 years, we, we have been really setting up a pathway to belonging in the church that really creates more obstacles for people than, than there needs to be. In fact, if you think about it this way, some have said that the pathway of belonging over the last 400 years or so 
has been believe, behave, belong. And in summary, what that means is if you believe the right things, and then if you behave the right way, well, then you can belong here with us. And, and over the last couple of weeks, what I've been trying to do is articulate why that is the complete reversal of what Jesus intended to set up in the Jesus pattern of belonging. The Jesus pattern looks more like this, belong, behave, believe. And what I've been saying is that Jesus invites people to, to follow him, and that's it. As imperfect and unfinished as you are, Jesus simply wants you to follow. And in following him, he's inviting you to be a part or to belong to a new way of life, to belong to a new way to exist in the world that looks different and feels different than any other kind of way of life where you pay attention to the things that he paid attention to, you do the things that he did, you, you don't do the things that he didn't. And so in inviting us to belong to a different way of life, Jesus demonstrates for us what he expects from us. And so we learn by walking with him to pay attention to those who are lost and vulnerable, those who are on the margin of society, neglected and forgotten. We learn by watching him how to lift up the lonely, how to give our lives away rather than uh, hoard our lives to ourselves. We learn by watching him that we live a peculiar kind of life. We love our neighbors, but we also love our enemies. And instead of fueling the fires of division and chaos in the world, we are a part of a way of life that is supposed to actually be reconciling the world with Jesus as opposed to working against Jesus, right? And in so doing, if we belong to that way of life that Jesus invites, and we learn to behave like Jesus behaved, then it leads to belief. I mean, it really leads to a genuine, authentic, bona fide belief in something real. And you know why? For one reason. For the power of personal experience. That's why. That's why I believe the things I believe most because I've experienced them to be true. I mean, it's one thing for somebody to convince you to simply say yes to a list of beliefs. I mean, it's one thing for somebody to tell you what to believe, right? I mean, it's one thing for somebody to try to persuade you by, by rational thought or logical reasoning that you should assent or agree to this list of intellectual propositions. That's one thing. It's an entirely different thing to actually truly experience a heart belief, a belief down in your gut because you have experienced something to be true for yourself. And that's what I want to talk about for just a moment because I think this may be the greatest argument of all for us sustaining this community of belonging that Jesus established in us so long ago. So this story that Glenn read a moment ago from Measure 20 is a story about a man who had a son who had a problem. About a man who had a son who had a problem. If I want to say it another way, it's about a parent who had a kid who had a problem, which means that's everybody. And so this man who had a son who had a problem came to Jesus and said, my, my son, he has this spirit that, well, in, in the ancient biblical writer's mind, the spirit does this thing to my son. And well, it makes him unable to speak and he collapses to the floor. And when he does, he, he convulses and he seizes and he foams at the mouth so you and I would recognize that kind of experience as some kind of a seizure, right? Some kind of a maybe epileptic episode. The ancient biblical writers use the best 
uh, cosmology and science that they knew and, and they understood, well, there's something causing this and we don't completely understand it, so it's a, it's a spirit. And, and, and he says to Jesus, the problem is the spirit's been with him from the time that he was young, so apparently he was an older son. And he's had the same issue and nothing I can do can fix it for him. Nothing I can do as a dad can remove this problem he has. And sometimes I've watched it, the spirit, well, it, it makes him convulse and fall into the campfire. And he's got scars from these burns. And sometimes he's fallen into the water and we had to drag him out because he had no control over his body. And so the father confesses there is this deep kind of wound in the father for being unable because his experience has taught him to believe that this kid is hopeless. He's tried every kind of superstitious remedy out there and nothing has worked, nothing at all. And he comes to Jesus, if you can, can you help me? And Jesus has these words to say, powerful words. All things can be done for the one who believes. But then the father gives what may be one of the greatest lines, the greatest responses in all of sacred scripture when it comes to faith and believing. He said, I believe, help my unbelief. Anybody who's ever loved anybody or anything and hoped something for anybody or anything, well, you know that we are all a mixture of belief and unbelief at the same time. Yes, I believe that he has admitted that there is a problem and he's in this program and yet I believe it can happen. I just help my unbelief because we've been down this road before. I believe, but help my unbelief. And it, it, with that one statement, this man encapsulates or even it, he voices what all of us know to be true if we confess it. Is that we're all walking around with a little bit of belief and a little bit of unbelief at the same time. And if you meet anybody who tells you that they just believe and that there is no unbelief in them at all, they are either lying or, they, or they're just so blind to their own pattern that they are afraid to confess vulnerably that part of them that isn't quite there yet. There is a mixture in all of us of belief and unbelief. Right? And, and it plays out in our daily experiences because what you experience in your personal lived experiences as a human being your experiences shape both your belief and your unbelief. Your experiences shape what you believe and they shape what you don't believe. Everybody that I know knows somebody who has walked away from the faith. Somebody you love, maybe you care about. And maybe they were never in the faith and they have never given it a shot. Maybe they are what we call the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S. We've talked about the nuns a lot here. But they're the ones who 26% of America affiliate with this, this group of religious people, the nuns. When asked, what religion are you part of? What, who do you affiliate with? What tradition? What religion? They say none. It's the fastest growing group of people in the U.S. And some of those nuns used to believe. <laughs> they used to go to church. They went to the camps. They had VBS. They did the thing. They came to church but they switched and they became nuns. In other words, we, we call them the duns. Those who tried it 
They went there, they got the t-shirt for it, but they're no longer wearing the shirt because they are done. Something happened, watch, in their experience that compelled them to, to move away from belief rather than draw that person closer to belief. And it could be any number of reasons. Maybe they had a bad experience in church. I mentioned it like a minute ago. Maybe it's a superficial reason. They, for the first time in their old life, maybe they try to come to church and they say, I'm gonna give it a shot and they show up and somebody who's been sitting in that seat their whole life says, sorry, this is my seat, you won't have to move. <laughs> and maybe they never come back. And maybe that's simple and that, that almost superficial. But maybe it's more than that. Maybe they... They grew up in a church where they were given this narrative of what it means to be a believer. But by the way, here's what it means to be a believer in Jesus. You follow Jesus and and you give your life to Jesus. But by the way, here's some carry-on bags to come with it. You have to think this way. You have to talk this way. You have to dress this way. You have to vote this way. You have to orient your life in this world these ways while you're following Jesus. And the baggage became so heavy that it had nothing to do with the original uh, I guess, impulse to follow Jesus, that they say, you know, if, 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 it, if it takes all that, I'm out. Or maybe they were a part of a church where there is one way to particularly it, it interpret these passages of Scripture, and it, they feel like they have to check their, their minds at the door. And maybe they were part of an experience where that church that they were in didn't have the same kind of hope that we have here, which is a breadth and a depth of theology where we believe in theological depth and diversity. And maybe they grew up in an experience where they had to relinquish their belief in science or their thoughts on sexuality. Or maybe they had to let go of their thoughts about how the universe was ordered and the way the cosmos was set up. And when they considered all that they had to relinquish that was in their conscience, they said, you know what, I'm I'm done. And they walk away. See, our experiences shape both what we believe what we don't believe. And it happens not just in individuals, but it happens in like whole churches as well. (laughs) When I was in my first pastorate um, 137 years ago, I was at a church where I was pastor, senior pastor for a little over six years. And in their experience, they had never ordained a woman to anything in the ministry. No women in ministry, no women in the deacon body, none of it. And you know me, come on. And you know that for a little over six years, I preached my guts out. I preached my heart out about this conviction that I have that the Spirit of God is no respecter of persons or gender or experience or wealth, that the Spirit of God, as it says in Acts chapter 2, is to be poured out on all flesh, male and female, old and young, right? And so I preached my heart out for like six years there, a little over six years, and nada, I mean, it was like I was preaching, it was like I was preaching during COVID to an empty room, you know. And, and yet at the end of those six years, toward the end, like the last couple of years, here's, here's something that happened. Some women were nominated to be deacons, which, of course, it was against the bylaws, so they couldn't, so it threw their names out of the nomination. But I took that little tiny victory as, well, it's a, it's a start. But during that time, something else was going on. We needed to get some help with our children and youth. Our children and youth programs were growing. And so we had a college nearby, Tennessee Wesleyan College. And I hired two students who were from that college to work as children's and youth ministry interns. And one of the people I hired as our children's ministry intern was a young woman named Katie. Katie grew up in the church where I was serving. 
I mean, she was born there. They changed her diaper there. She went to VBS there. She grew up there, baptized there, graduated, right? And went on to college. And here she is coming because there's something happening in her heart. And she's, she's wanting to serve and give back to her church. So she does. She continues doing that. I follow a call to go to Florida. So I moved to another, another church to serve there. And she continues to volunteer and to serve as an intern. Well, something happened in Katie's heart. God didn't stop talking. And she went on to Duke Divinity School and earned a Master of Divinity uh, in theology at Duke Divinity. She got involved working in a church in the Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia area, and they ordained her, that church, to the Christian ministry. Now, Reverend Katie comes home because she has to come home for a few months, and she lives there back in the little town where she grew up, and she's volunteering in the church where she had grown up, just serving, just volunteering. But the people of the church, the same people, had an experience that changed things. And they saw in her the evidence that theoretically, years before, didn't make sense if it's a matter of just what we think and believe and how we interpret Scripture and and how we have our bylaws set up. But they saw in her something. And she was elected the first woman deacon of that church's history. Isn't that fantastic? I was so proud of that church, so proud, especially when I heard that electing their first woman deacon got them kicked out of their Southern Baptist Association. (laughs) Man, I was like, go get it. Well done. You know, that that took some working out to do, but I was proud of them. But here's what happened. (laughs) Their experience shaped what they believed and what they no longer believed. Experience shapes the difference between belief and non-belief. And you know, there is this thin line. It's a thin line inside us between our belief and our unbelief. But it's that thin line where God does God's best work. There is this space inside our hearts between what we believe and between that and what we don't believe. And that thin little narrow space in between, that liminal space, that liminal space between our belief and unbelief is where God does God's best work because it's there in the heart where we struggle and there is tension between what we believe and what we are not quite ready to purchase and buy wholesale yet. It's there that as we live out what Paul says in Philippians, we work out our salvation, we work it out in fear and trembling, in that space between belief and unbelief. And in that space, transformation happens, and the only thing that's required, the only thing that's required of individuals and of churches is a tiny opening of the heart. Just a tiny opening in the heart where something may be born that we didn't think could be born in us. Belief. Yeah. In fact, a close study of the word belief reveals that this is what the word actually means. It's about something that happens in the heart. Now, listen, I am not a Latin scholar, okay? I am not a German scholar. I am not much of any kind of scholar at all, but I will tell you I am indebted to the work of uh, uh, Diana Butler Bass who provides the etymology The word history of the word belief. See, in the West, most of us in this room were were, came of age in in the Western hemisphere, right? 
Many of you did not, and we want to make sure we acknowledge and respect that reality, right? But those of us who, who did uh, come up and were born and, 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 and became aware of our faith in the West, we have been influenced by the dominant language of our theology coming up in the West was Latin. The dominant thinking was shaped by the language of Latin, especially through the Middle Ages, right? And as such, there are a couple of words in Latin that describe what it means to believe. Here's one of them. Opinor, or uh, opinari. And that word is the word from which we get opinion. Now, hang with that slide for just a moment. Opinion. Do you know that in Latin opinion, this word here, it was never meant to have theological connotations. It was never meant to be a word that describes the spiritual kind of believing. This was more of a word that's used to describe what happens in your head when you have a, an intellectual assent or agreement with some kind of idea or thought up here, right? But there is another word that's used in Latin to describe the kind of spiritual or religious believing that we're talking about and that most of the scriptures are talking about. And it's this word, credo. Credo is a word that literally means I set my heart upon this or I give my loyalty to this. I just hang with that for just a moment to feel the difference between the opinion kind of belief, I have an opinion, a thought, an intellectual assent to some idea, and credo, which is I give my heart. I set my heart to this. In fact, in the Middle English, the Middle English in the Middle Ages interpreted credo to mean believe. And that's the word that we come to when we talk about believing in the faith. Believe is closely tied to a German word. The German word here is believen, which has as its meaning to prize, to treasure, to hold dear. Are you feeling the difference there? To hold, to value, to treasure something. And the heart of the word believen the root word is lieb, which means love. So the summary, what's my point? From the very beginning, to believe means to be love. To truly, genuinely, spiritually believe in something, it means to be love. That is not simply an activity of the head, but it is a yielding and a vulnerable, transparent kind of openness of the heart. In fact, here's, here's how I said it for those of you who, who take copious notes, and I know you do, right? I just can't see that you're not. But I, here, just in case, this is how I want to say it. Authentic faith isn't some calculated assent to some all airtight system of intellectual opinions, right? It is a gradual opening of the heart to a relationship, one life-changing experience at a time. Let me just repeat it again because it's so good. I just want you to absorb that. Once again, we hear authentic faith isn't some calculated assent to some like airtight system of intellectual opinions. That's not what belief is in the church. That's not what belief is in Jesus. It is the gradual opening of the heart to a relationship, one life-changing experience at a time. So a dad who had a son who had a problem when he says, I believe, help my unbelief, it's as if literally he is saying, look, I have opened my heart to the possibility of something. And it's a tiny opening, but I've opened my heart to the possibility of something. I believe, but 
Help my unbelief. Help the parts of my heart that are not quite open to the thing that may be possible. I mean, and just how many people do you know right now who, if they knew that believing isn't one wholesale purchase and you got to buy the whole truckload of baggage that comes, what if, if they knew that believing is simply opening up a part of your heart, but help my unbelief, help me reconcile within my heart the places that are still closed because I'm not willing to give up ground on some things that I really truly believe. Can you imagine what, it, what kind of freedom that would come to somebody who wants to believe but has been convinced that they can't? That happens if they find a church who lets them belong first. And that church with all patience and trust and humility, well, they invite them to behave with us in ways that look like Jesus. And in their belonging and in their behaving, they arrive not on our time schedule, but on the time schedule of the Holy Spirit. They arrive at some belief that God initiates and not us. It's all about the heart, which means that you and I have to move from the head to the heart in doing our faith. Move away from this idea that if we're going to believe right around here, we got to say yes in our head to these, these concepts, these intellectual ideas, and we move it to our heart where we're open to the mysteries of God. I love how Parker Palmer put it. Listen to what Parker says. Heart, the word, comes from the Latin core and points not merely to our emotions, but to the core of the self, that center place where all of our ways of knowing converge, intellectual, emotional, sensory, intuitive, imaginative, experiential, relational, and bodily. The heart is where we, I love this, the heart is where we integrate what we know in our minds with what we know in our bones. Could anything be more beautiful than that? And believing is simply an invitation to bring what you know in your bones to be true and reconcile it with what you know in your mind. But all that work happens in the heart. You know, the ancient biblical writers used to refer to the heart as the bowels, the gut, that center of being. It's not up here. You and I have a trouble, have a hard time making the longest spiritual journey there is, which is like the, the foot and a half journey from up here to down here. Because we are children of the Enlightenment and children of Western civilization. But the ancients, including Jesus, knew that it all begins and it all ends right in here. This is why Paul said in chapter 8 of Romans these words, but listen with new ears now. But what does it say? The word is near you. and You're closer than you think. The word is near you on your lips and in your heart. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and watch this, and believe... Open up a small opening to the possibility in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Or maybe the most famous of all, John 3.16. As we read John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, whoever creates space in their heart, not their head, Otherwise, he would have said, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever will intellectually assent to the prospect or the, or the, 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 post, the, the, the thesis that, that Jesus is the son of God, and if you agree to the doctrines that were set forth in the third century by early patristics who then handed them down to the Middle Ages, who then handed them down to us, the reformers, and 
It doesn't say any of that. Because John 3.16 is not about the head, it's about the heart. John 3 is where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He says, you got to be born again. you you got to move from your head to your heart where something is born in you. And that birth is the birth of the possibility that in Jesus, you will find your salvation. Now, you and I know that to be absolutely true. But for those who are struggling with belief, what if they only were to be told if you open up a small window in your heart? God will take care of the rest. But what if I can't figure it out? Well, come and be with us as we work it out together. But what if I'm not in a hurry? What if it's gonna take me some time because I got some baggage to unpack? Well, come on, because this church is gonna be patient with you. And this church is not going to play the role of God, but let God play the role of God with you. We're just gonna be your sisters and brothers who love you and love the world alongside you until we all are absolutely convinced in whom we believe. That's why it's essential that we keep belong, behave, believe in the back of our minds at least so that we are conscious of the kind of space that we're sharing and deliberate about the kind of grace that we're extending. I think the sake of the world depends on it. But maybe today you're hearing these words and and you're like, you know, that sounds like somebody I know. And I want to risk bringing that person to be a part of this congregation. And so I'm going to risk it. And and you want to pray for the possibility that the person you love may experience it. Maybe even as early as next week at 11 o'clock or 4 o'clock to come and experience with you. Something that allows them to move out of their head and into their heart where they don't have to relinquish everything that's in their head. They can still know the world in the way that, that they know it in their bones, right? But they meet the mystery of a God who welcomes them. And maybe next, you, maybe it's not somebody you're thinking about or loving, maybe it's you. Maybe it's you. You recognize that for a long time, most of the blood in your body has been lodged up here. And you try to figure it out, try to work it out. It doesn't make sense. And and since you can't make sense, you think that you have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's not for me because I can't reconcile it up here. Well, maybe that's not where we reconcile those things. Maybe today you are someone who needs to hear the invitation to move some of that blood from your head to your heart, where you're able to reconcile and work it out and patiently come to believe. And if that is you, maybe you pray something like this today. And right where you are, sitting at home or in the family life center or sitting even in the sanctuary, maybe you pray something like this, God, I... I want to believe. And part of me does, Lord. But help me in my unbelief. Help me know if there really is a place for me in this new beloved community, this new humanity that you're trying to establish. The way I'm wired, the way I think. uh, uh, Let me know. Because if there is, God, I, I yield myself to you. Christ, I come to you on bended knees and I I humble myself and I recognize that I've come to the end of my ability to try to reconcile things on my own. So I come to you now, right now, and I receive you. And I, I believe in my heart that you may be able to reconcile things I cannot. And I follow you today. Amen. If that's what you pray, or maybe if that's what you just now prayed, you need to understand that is as authentic as it can get. 
It doesn't have to be flowery. It doesn't have to be complicated. It it simply has to be real. And if you did pray that, we want to know that you did. So at the end of worship today, in just a few moments, uh, at the front of the sanctuary and at the front of the Family Life Center, we're going to have some pastors who are already moving into those places now to, to be ready to talk to you after the benediction. And if you're at home and you're not here on campus right now, and you want to let us know that you prayed that or you're beginning to pray that kind of prayer where you move out of your head and into your heart so that you truly can believe, we want you to email us and let us know. Connect at jcbc.org. That way we can reach back out to you and continue a conversation so that it's not just a one-way street here. But whatever it is that has happened in your heart and in your heart and in my heart, now is the time to take what is happening in our hearts and leave this hour of worship and live in such a way that we actually believe what we have confessed in this place today. So if you will, stand to your feet as we prepare for our benediction. Let these words be the words of power and strength and confidence as we leave this place. Wherever it is that you go from here, may Christ go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you on the days that you fear and feel like retreating to go one step further at a time. May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you on the days when dark clouds roll in to remind you there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear but mostly may Christ go in you transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with his go in peace